0: Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out,
2: no matter how hard it rains.
1: Everybody and welcome to Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You have made it to episode 209, and we are so happy to have you. It's gonna be a fun night. There is so much Seahawks news to discuss, and Dana O'Gorman. It's gonna be a fun night. There is so. much Whoa, I'm getting Seahawks feedback. Hold on one second, guys. And Dana O'Gorman. I don't think anyone wants to hear me twice. I'm Whoa, sure I don't wait, want to wait, hear tonight. me twice. Hold on one second, guys. See, you gotta, you gotta mute YouTube. Um, You know, I try to be available in the chat, and nobody wants to hear me twice um, or three times, depending. But welcome again. Let's try that again. Welcome to episode two hundred nine. Tons of Seahawks news to talk about. I thought Jeff was jumping in to interrupt about the Seahawks news, um, and I was excited to hear what he had to say. But yes, uh, we've got Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons. How are you, dude? I'm good. I'm good, man.
2: I'm good. I I like this time of year. You yeah, got the end of the baseball season, football's heating up. It's a fun time.
1: Fun time of year right now. now careful. Season. Careful. You bring up baseball. Your Blue Jays, like, they're hanging on by a thread. I'm so mad. Like, I'm so they mad. They somehow managed to, like work with the gods today to get a rain delay because they were going to fall out of first place the wild card uh because the mariners are on their tail dude man you guys have had some fun games
2: going on with the yankees but i thought our our boys uh we cheaped out so much of the deadline and we i don't know what they were doing and i was pissed off and now they're they're leaking oil so I, i hate to be proven right but Jay's Twitter is of like a bunch of fanboys, so I get a little annoyed with them, and so wow. uh, yeah. So well, that's another story. We'll save that for another day.
1: We will. We're certainly pretty excited over here. Um, Dana uh, Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter is going to actually be coming to visit Seattle. You got some family that might be moving here, <clears throat> checking out where to live. And you're gonna. I, I feel like you're gonna have to if the Mariners are playing a game. I think you might need to go see one. Like it's 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 rocking right now. It's fun.
3: Okay. Uh, I'll go if you want me to. <laughs> listen is that I, is I that a, like baseball. you're not
1: a baseball fan thing or not is a that huge baseball a baseball like...
3: person no it's not a Mariners thing you know I I really watched baseball for two seasons when the Royals went to back-to-back uh World Series but I'm just not a huge baseball person I like to go to games though I think they're a lot of fun and I like to watch but they're, it's not something I pay much attention to remember it's football and soccer for me so
1: yeah I think that's fine I mean mm-hmm. a lot of people go. I'm to not going to a game.
3: Sounders game though
1: <laughs> I, I figured, I figured we won't talk about the sounders. I know that's a very sensitive, <laughs> Um. but yeah, we're really excited to have you. And, and we're trying to arrange our Ring of Honor dinner for when you're here. Uh, we were hoping we could get Evan and Jeff here as well. That's not going to work out this time, but maybe another time. So, uh, if, if it doesn't work out, we'll, we'll do ring of honor another time, but, but hopefully we can, we can get that all coordinated. So uh, here
2: Evan's uh, too busy kissing uh, Mark Rogers and that Russell Wilson's ass still really is that happening? Did I miss something? <laughs> I just feel like every time I log on Twitter, Evan's still like coping with Russell and I don't know. I'm just, I'm just taking it's, a fucking It's taking stuff. him a
3: minute. Yeah. I, yeah. I listed it. Nathan had a, a tweet and I put up the five, like these five stages of breaking up with someone. And I said, Seattle was in two to three where you're starting to talk all the shit about the person and you're kind of getting to hating them and Evan's not there yet. He's just that he's just in the first stage still. It's going to take him a minute. <laughs> no, I'm interested. Like
1: I really feel like I've moved to a new stage, thankfully because of the, the, the news coming out of the, the Seahawks camp. Like there's a, there's some of the best career advice I ever got was never run from a job always run to a job and i think there's something to that for this as well like just being like trying to get away from the russell stuff and like that's not fun but like there's news that's pretty exciting that is drawing my attention out of seahawks camp and it's not all great uh we've got some injuries we'll talk about and and stuff along those lines but I gotta start with the cornerback room like i'm really really excited about everything i'm hearing everything i'm seeing and i can't wait to see these guys up against opponents saturday i mean we've got a game saturday night against the steelers in pittsburgh and look like Tariq woolen let's start there we all talked about him. we were excited about that draft pick super toolsy you know, cornerback, 6'4", 4'2", 40, like, unreal measurables, like, you know, crazy measurables. But he was thought to be a project, probably, like a guy that maybe you hope you develop this year and maybe starts to get snaps towards the end of the season or, or next year. There's like possibility he actually takes the starting role, which is like, Unreal, and i do not. know Have you guys seen Jeff? We'll start with you. Have you seen some of the the clips of him going up against DK? There's a clip today that was also unreal. I don't know if you saw that one, where he like knocked one away in the end zone, and then ended up being able to almost. I don't know if he actually kept his feet in mouth, but it looked like he picked it off. Like crazy. Yeah, man.
2: Uh, my Mike Duger's done a really good job, like putting out a lot of the Tariq quote clo- clo- quotes, because or the clips that uh, he. he Says like the team's calling him spooky or something or Avatar. I think that was you, Brian, that pointed that out too. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm really with you. He's he's a really fun guy, and he just when they drafted him, they, he just seemed like a guy who had all the skill set, but just super raw. And the fact that he's able to adjust and we'll really see in these preseason games and hopefully in the regular season. But yeah, it kind of just speaks to my feeling overall. And I know a lot of people probably think I'm nuts for feeling this way, but like just compare a lot of these position groups to how we talked about the Seahawks, especially in our chat group. Like remember what we were talking about at the cornerback last year in preseason, like they had guys coming in and out of their lineup and they were trying new combinations and it was a Kello Weatherspoon and Trey Flowers. And Pete was trying to pump up the Trey Flowers and turn the corner for the fourth time. And you look at this position group now and you got two rookies who are both see all seemingly like lighting up camp. And that's where like, I just feel so differently about how this team and the cornerbacks are perfect spot. Cause you talked about two years ago, Shaquille Griffin was on the last year of his deal and DJ Reed, we, that wasn't on the team yet. And it was just such a bleak. And we spent the whole offseason just beating our heads against the wall. Like what are these guys doing? And all, it just feels like throughout this roster, there's just players that have the potential to ascend to make the season so much different to me in terms of just like long-term sustainability than they've been the last three to five years.
1: Yeah, Dana, I did just see the avatar nickname right before we joined. And I'm assuming it's the long blue Mm -hmm. avatar creatures and not the airbender, although I'm a big fan of the (laughs) airbender. Uh, I mean, Airbender's super toolsy. He's not tall and lanky, but he's got a lot that's going on there. So either way, it's always a good sign when a guy that came out of really nowhere has already earned a nickname from teammates that does not seem like it's derisive. It seems like this guy's got their attention.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what has been fascinating about this group, and Tariq in particular, because he's gotten so much attention, Um is what it has done for my view of where this team is focused at. I, I completely, I, I, you know, I love defense. I, I, I pound the table for defense all the time. But it feels like with as much attention as these young corners are giving, and as much attention as the young players on defense are getting, that you can feel the shift back with the way it was for so many years for Seattle. And then you add to that, you bring back in which made my freaking week to see Richard Sherman on that field during the practice game. Like I, I hate to be girly or emotional, but it literally made me tear up because that was just something I was waiting to happen. And then to hear that he is not only talking to that corner bracket group, but kind of, I hate to say the word mentor, because that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but he's talking to them. And then he picked out Tariq as someone he really wanted to talk to and focus to that says a lot about this kid he's not just some newbie on the corner he the interesting thing too it what is it is it Tariq that kj said was really good and you got worried about (laughs)
1: hey yeah i was gonna bring that up so uh kj was on kjr i believe and apparently was talking about talking up Tariq woolen I immediately posted it to our chat because that is like the kiss of death. I mean, this is the guy that went on uh, whatever Seahawks access show and was talking up Tedrick Thompson like he was going to be the next big thing. So KJ and his ability to project defensive backs has not been good so far, but hopefully it's not just him.
3: Yeah, I thought that was hilarious because you were like, no. <laughs>
1: like oh, kiss a death. It's so death.
3: funny. But we hear about him. We're hearing a lot about Kobe Bryant also. Um, I know that. Is it? Yeah. Am I right that Trey Brown will be back soon? They're expecting yeah. him soon?
1: I don't yeah, know. So, I, I mean- don't know how soon with Trey Brown. And, and actually, um, that's a worthwhile thing for us to talk about. My guess mm-hmm. is that Trey Brown's going to start on PUP. That's my guess. I think they're going to. For the season. Yeah, I think not okay. He'll start there. It doesn't mean that he'll stay there. He'll he'll be eligible to right. come back. What's the PUP rules now? Is it still six games or can you come back sooner? I think, I think it's, it's six games. And I
3: think that, I thought they cha- they changed change it and change. they I thought that they changed. I think mean, it's it. the
1: IR rules that changed. The yeah, IR rules changed. I know. Oh that.
3: okay. Okay. So sorry.
1: Yeah. So before we leave Tariq, I wanted to share something really quick, just, just as me. like uh, I'm gonna share my screen for a second. Um and are you guys able to see this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is Tariq Woolen's measurables. And this is like his percentile for all of these different factors relative to everybody that's gone through the combine. This is insane, right? Like, and it's fun to look at these things and think like, gosh, if that could ever work out, but they're like, it's like a lottery, like the types of guys that go in the fourth or fifth round that have these kinds of physical traits. It's one in a hundred, one, one in one in a thousand that actually are able to capitalize on those traits. Um, you know, but you've got a guy that's over 6'4, over 200 pounds. I mean, this wingspan's nuts. Um 42640 is nuts. 42 inch vertical is nuts. Like the closest compare from a cornerback perspective is Xavier Rhodes, who's been a very good corner, but he's not even like a high percentage match. Like, if you just look at it, like from an athlete perspective, um, like you just get some like Sydney Rice. Like, I don't know. It's just crazy to me. Uh, Look at that. Trey Flowers. Uh Oh, uh oh, oh, but like, I think it's just huge. What I'm seeing from him in clips is a guy that can move his feet, that's able to be fluid. Something that Trey Flowers never could. Like Trey Flowers was converted from safety. The very first practice I saw him, I was like, this guy's hips are super like tight. Like he does not, he's not fluid in and out of breaks. Like he doesn't look like a corner. Um Woolen in just a few clips, you can tell that guy can move naturally and he goes after the ball. And then before we even talk about Trey, like Kobe Bryant's like this guy also looks like did you guys see the clip of him going up against dk uh i think i sent it out yesterday dk tried to take like a a stutter step um and dk you know gets on you pretty fast the guy covers a lot of ground he's a huge human being kobe bryant like was glue he was he was moving in sync with dk dk could not shake him to credit DK, he actually made a contested catch, which was nice to see. But I it was I thought it was pretty eye-popping, to be honest, seeing what Kobe was doing um, just in that clip and what we've heard. And now, Jeff, we're hearing about him and second day in a row. He is taking snaps at nickel. Um, and I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are about the implications of Kobe Bryant at nickel.
2: Yeah, it was. It surprised me. He didn't seem to have that kind of profile of like the shorter, quick, shorter, quick area guy. But I think it's just trying to find a way to get their best players on the field and see. I think the the way Pete framed it was they're just trying to see if he's versatile enough to do it. Because if Woolen's playing like this, like he might be a starter sooner than we think. And I think they're just trying to see if they can get if you're a team in transition and you can get all your younger guys on the field instead of a guy like Ugo who. I think we kind of know what Ugo is at this point. Justin right. Coleman's an older player. He's a good guy to have in a season like this where you, he's a stopgap, you know, the scheme. So I think it's just seeing what he can do. Uh, I still think Kobe projects more as an outside corner. So I think he'll probably end up back there. But you can get three good young corners on the field and Artie Burns and Cindy Jones were having good camps before they got hurt. To me, that's much more intriguing than playing
1: a guy like Ugo or even Justin Coleman in a season like this. Yeah, I mean, Dana... I. I have to admit, like I thought when they signed Justin Coleman, I didn't think he was a lock to be the nickel, but I thought this guy's gonna have a really strong chance and now. I don't know like it's starting to set up like this guy's the vet. Um, Is this a repeat of the Antoine Winfield 2013 year I think it was where he came in he was like we were psyched to have him as our nickel corner like Mm -hmm. super accomplished player and there was just such an overwhelming you know amount of cornerback talent that he got cut he didn't make the team it was a shock uh do you think that could happen here with coleman
3: I, i think anything could happen at this point i mean we we know what justin coleman can bring to the table and and that's Jeff and I talk about this a lot. That's the fun of this season as we get to see the development of some of these players. And are they players that can jump some, and this is no disrespect to Justin Coleman, but some of these kind of more middle level players that we have had in, and he's a very good player, and but he's not like he's an elite player at his position. And so can some of these younger, faster, quicker kids come in and pick up those positions and, and start to take over? There's been a lot of buzz about the youth of this defense. And I think that um, as much as we like to joke about Kobe Bryant same at the beginning, now people are talking about him with excitement of the position. They've done it a couple of days in a row, but that's where they put him and, he, and he's exceeded well. And so I think I think this season, especially in the secondary as anything's going to go this year. It, it's going to be so fun, but that isn't the joy of the priest Remember, for years. I mean, who we blew off the preseason games. No one really cared. And we kind of half last watched and not really pay attention. I'm going to be watching with great interest to see how they put these players out there this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if you're just, if you're just, if the factor you're looking at is what's the optimal possible outcome mm-hmm. uh, of the cornerback room, like by the end of the year, like where we feel like we know, what those three positions are going to be. If you're talking if you're looking at it in terms of youth, upside, contract controllability and, and price, you want you want uh, Kobe Bryant, the, younger, the better you want Tariq Woolen, and you want Trey Brown. Those are the three guys you're rooting for. And if, if they can find their way to where it doesn't have to be at the start of the year, but if we're at, like by the end of the season, like those are the three guys, that alone would be a massive, massive like brick in the new foundation because you build bricks with found- foundations with bricks apparently now. But anyway, like it would be They're a concrete. big building block <laughs> for the team. Um,
3: right. Well, and we've said this, I-, I keep saying it over and over and over again, 2022 is all about 23. And so it doesn't matter what happens in these first four games, six games. I know everyone wants to win them. I get that. We don't want to be, you know, the worst team in football. We're not going to be. So I'm not worried about that. But it's that end. It's that second half of that season. How much they can avoid the injury and how quickly these players can develop and catch up to the league. That's going to be what's truly important going into next season.
1: Yeah, I'm also kind of curious. I haven't followed the contracts as closely, but it would make sense. Like we saw a huge escalation in wide receiver contracts, right? All of a sudden, guys, the top guys are making 30 million a year, like 28 million a year, 25 million a year. It wouldn't shock me if we see a somewhat of a reciprocal jump in cornerback deals, right? Like all of a sudden, you now need to pay that much to stop the guy that's making that much, you know, that becomes an even more premium position. It's already a premium position. And if the Seahawks could be in position to have three guys on rookie contracts with only one of them um, you know, in his second year, huge competitive advantage. Like huge, huge, huge. So like I'm super excited about that. I also am still really excited about Artie Burns and Sidney Jones. Like, I think those guys, Artie Burns, former first round pick. Didn't work out in Pittsburgh. Steelers fans hate that guy. They will drag him if you ask him. Ask anyone about him. He got hurt when he went to the Bears. Didn't get a real chance to shine. But his his when he did come back and played into size defense, he shined. And the guy, he's got tools as well. Like he's he's a talented athlete. So. I love, I love the makeup of their cornerback room. I did not, I remember having this conversation with Evan. Do you guys remember this like earlier in the offseason? He was like, that's the position I'm most worried about. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like that's the position I'm most excited about. Like I even like Michael Jackson. Uh, and I'm not talking about the singer. Like the, the player like had some outstanding, outstanding games to end last year, the, the two final games that he made plays that weren't just like, oh, that was a nice play. They were like, holy shit like where did this guy come from and he probably won't make the team maybe he won't maybe he'll make the practice squad but i'm hoping with the injury situation so for folks that don't know Artie burns has a groin injury he hasn't been practicing since like yesterday uh sydney jones has a concussion you know these are short-term injuries those guys will be back uh probably won't play in the the preseason game i would guess but hopefully we get more snaps from a guy like michael jackson and that guy has a chance to show off and, and maybe we'll see more from him and i'm really interested i hope we get to see kobe bryant at multiple spots and not just nickel but um yeah like there's so much to learn and i don't know guys like it does feel different
2: that's been my that's been my whole off-season feeling
1: you brought up the albert breer article Jeff and then Albert Breer went on the Mike Salk show and followed up and talked a little bit more about it I don't know if you had a chance to hear his comments I'm curious like first of all if you can like summarize for people that didn't read or hear the the, his comments like what his takeaway was were so he was at Seahawks camp I think last week
2: and I think the mock game but really his takeaway and it's been a lot of the thing things we've talked about is really just how special this draft class looks and how it really sets the foundation for the next generation of this team. And frankly, like if you've listened to our show in the last five to seven years, we've been just hammering the drafting. And rightfully so, like this team alone has six or seven rookies. Let's say six. Six rookies that are just genuinely interesting. I remember Brian and I talked about this last year. We were doing a show in the preseason we were just talking about how just uninteresting their like, lack of undrafted free agents and how like, you can legitimately probably count six players in the last seven years that have been legitimately interesting rookies. There's six on this team alone, and maybe more that we haven't seen yet. I don't know much about Derek Young or Bo Melton or some of those guys, but that was Brewer's main takeaway, just how you might have six guys who are going to impact. I know some people like rolled their eyes talking about how this roster just has not a lot of good players i thought that was a stupid take uh, um sorry derek i thought that was stupid um but yeah he the corner was his main point and really just throughout the roster they have youth and ascending talent that really just hasn't been there like ds bridge collier we've spent so much time beating that drum so just they feel and they look different and that was Brewer's takeaway like we all know they're going to be short-term struggles. We'll see it this week. Like, they, no one develops receivers better than the Steelers. So seeing two of those two corners go up against those receivers will be really interesting. But just, yeah, the corners look really interesting. Kenneth Walker, some of the pass rushers, the tackles. just The, the team just looks and feels different, obviously, with the caveat of the quarterback position. But everywhere else looks different. That was music to my ears because that's been my feel, just looking at the roster.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that was right. He also brought up um, that however you feel about the situation, he he his interpretation was that there was a cloud lifted on the team that the Russell Wilson relationship had really soured. And and for the last couple of years that had kind of been hanging over the team. And <laughs> he also mentioned for folks that didn't hear on the radio uh that pete told him he's got a five-year plan uh you know so like he didn't get the impression pete's plan on leaving anytime soon for people that are hoping that that that's wrapping up sorry <laughs> um but dana i want to connect a couple dots and i want you to tell me if i'm crazy and i literally just was thinking about this as i was listening to jeff talk so I've been every day, pretty much. We're seeing a different former Seahawks show up at camp. Uh, we saw Richard Sherman show up. We have heard about how uh, Michael Bennett is going to be part of the broadcast team for preseason. Marshawn Lynch is going to be doing like video content. And yes, we know he got in trouble. Vegas does that to folks. But in any event, um, <laughs> uh, we today, Jermaine Curse, Doug Baldwin, um, you know, Those guys, I don't remember them coming to camp the last few years. Do you believe there's a connection between Russ moving on and those guys coming back to camp? Either A, that the team is welcoming them back and trying to build those bridges, or B, that they were more willing to be around the team after he's gone?
3: I think that there's two very possible answers, and they can both be true. Um, one, I think that, put yourself here, if Russell Wilson was on this team, would there have been a Seahawks Legends Day, where you bring back all of those superstars, I, I and this is not a diss on Russ, because I, I know, that I, I, I have so much respect for him, but we all know that Russ wants to be the football star, he said it himself, he wants this legacy, he wants this huge thing, would he be okay with bringing back all of these beloved guys during his training camp? I don't know that that would have happened from a standpoint of them being worried about pissing Russ off already more than he probably had been over the last few years. I don't know that would, that would have happened. The other aspect I think that is probably true and goes hand in hand with that is the front office understands The fan base is wavering right now. They're confused. They're worried. And one way to settle that is to bring back these players who always brought security and love for their team. So maybe they're asking them more. And maybe the players are much more likely to come back. Now, I don't think, do I think there was some big, huge rift between the defense and Russ? None of us will know that. We'll know someday when there's a 30 for 30. We will know eventually, but not anytime soon. But I just have a feeling that Russ was the superstar of this team. And now that they don't have that ego, for lack of a better word, I'm not saying he's egotistical, but I'm saying that ego, that, that, that superstar there, they are, they need to bring in others and they seem very happy to do it. I can't even imagine Doug Baldwin being on that practice field with Russ. I don't know why. I just don't get the gut feeling that those two would have been there together. Certainly not Michael Bennett. And I doubt Russ. Some of the others, maybe. I think Jermaine probably would have come back. You know, some of those guys. But I just feel like that, that was just really for the fans, from those players, and from the team. And that they were actually allowed to do that now. I, I'm trying to be very careful about the way I say it because I don't want people to think I'm ripping on Russell Wilson. I am not. It's just a shift in dynamic.
1: It's just a shift
3: yeah. in in how they feel free to do things now. As as I think that's fair. Yeah. I, yeah.
1: I think one of the things that really bummed me out as a fan is that it felt like there was such a falling out um, with mm-hmm the core stars of that team like the best most talented team this franchise will probably ever have and you look at franchises like you know the Steelers or you know the Bears or like Mm -hmm. you've got these legendary guys that hang around and um Steelers are a great example of like that they're culture carriers they're like they're ambassadors and they help like class after class after class, know what it means to be a Steeler. And that was a foundational group of guys that had not only talent, but mentality that could be like the def- def- definition of what it means to be a Seahawk. And like, I would have loved to like Matt Hasselback back in the days to stick around and be one of those guys, but he lives in, you know, Boston or whatever. But like, Doug lives here, Sherm lives here um to have jermaine kirsch lives here i'm pretty sure i don't know but like to have those guys available cam you know i think you can easily overplay it like i don't think it's the difference between being great and not but i do believe it sets a tone and i do believe it it elevates the i do believe people like sherman and doug are guys that can teach the craft and um Mm -hmm have one conversation that has an impact with a player that changes their course. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. And
3: it's comforting. It's comforting. I think there's there's
1: something there
2: and it's not with everyone. Like I know Nathan made a pretty good point that like Sherman and KJ both wanted to sign with the team last year when Russell was there, Mm -hmm. but I, I think bigger picture, I think if you know, look at Doug, for example, and you look at how he tweets some of the beat reporters and, he just feels way more engaged with the team. If you ever heard him talk and if you ever listen to Sherman talk about in on the podcast, and this is almost bigger than Russell. I think it's just the formula of what they want the Seahawks to be. And I don't think a lot of those guys, and they might be wrong because of how the NFL is now. And it might just be the mindset of a defensive player or Doug. I think there's a certain way. They just think that they want to see the Seahawks under Pete be played and when it got to more of Russell centric, I don't think a lot of those guys believe that can work. And if you listen to Sherman talk on his podcast recently with Patrick Peterson. And he says a lot of the things that sort of Brian was saying last year about Russell and questioning whether he can take that next step and whether he can carry a team and we'll learn a lot this year. But I think a lot of those guys, if you ask them off the record or to their core, they believe, and I know there was an article from John Boyle talking about how like A lot of the stuff Pete brought to the table with Carson Palmer is how he's bringing the team back and it's running and defense and character. I think that those a lot of those guys felt like the Seahawks had lost their way and Sherman talked about that and they're not going to be a good team this year because of how bad their quarterbacks are but I feel like in those guys mind a lot of them they're back to their core principles and maybe that comes back to the weight being lifted off their shoulders because they were kind of in this awkward position of trying to please Russell trying to please Mark Rogers trying to build a team that fit his strength and that awkward let Russ cook thing. And yeah, there's going to be some ugly years and it might be a transition. until they actually get a quarterback thing, but I just feel like they feel like the core of this whole program is back.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That I'm curious. I, I don't know anything one way or another, but it just, it seems odd for it to be that coincidental. Like it has been person after person after person, and it hasn't been like that in past years. So whatever the reason, I'm glad to see it's happening. I think only good things come from it. So it um, makes me happy as a fan to see some of those guys back um, around the team. I wanna shift gears. Uh, we talked about some of the rookies and some of the stories. There is a untold story of this camp, and it's kind of shocking, and I think, I think it's fantastic news. There's been almost no conversation about Charles Cross almost none this is our first pick number nine overall like a guy that we were over the moon that we got and we also we, abraham lucas started to get some starting snaps at right tackles doing that there's a lot of reason to believe this team could end up with two rookie bookend tackles and lucas has gotten more talk because there's been some change to his you know where he was in the the rotation the first thing i heard about charles cross was today from shelby harris making jokes about how he ripped his shirt but that cross is a great pass protector and he's got all the tools dana i my interpretation of that is no news is good news
3: oh for sure i did hear a little bit about him during it was after just one of the the practice not after the mock game or anything where um, they were, it was an article and it was showing, it was actually, no, it was on Twitter and they had video clips. I can't remember. Anyway, um, I can't remember which beat writer it was, but they talked about how they did this and Charles Cross, he completely missed his block. Like he just missed it. Went over, talked about it, never missed it again. Like he's extremely teachable from what I've been told and that he gets it right more times than he doesn't. And he's doing exactly what they wanted from him. Like you said, that's exactly what you want to hear. You don't want to hear, you know, that you, well, obviously we don't want to hear that they're having to fix him and change him and do all this other stuff, but you also don't want to hear, you know, that he's not melding with the team or something. He's, he's just doing his job and he's doing it well to the point where they're not going and talking to Dwayne Brown. They're not going out and trying to get anyone else to replace him. It is his job. I I guarantee you that will be his job day one from the beginning. And and he's doing exactly what they expected him to. It's refreshing for a first round pick for Seattle. Yeah.
2: And you want to talk about the other side of the coin on this. And Brian brings up a great point. Do do you remember Jermaine Effetti's rookie camp? Like how much did we hear about him fighting with Michael Bennett? And there was that story that came out with Sherman later and, like just contrast and compare that to he was a first round pick as well. and Yeah. It's sort of like referees. Like if you don't see them uh, for offensive linemen, if you don't see them, if you don't notice them, that's a great sign. We're going to learn a lot more in the coming weeks. Obviously. I don't know if TJ Watt will play this week or, but they start the year, they got Bosa coming up right off the bat. So we'll, we'll learn a lot quick and I, I know these guys are probably going to take their lumps, but yeah, a lot of the people who've come to Seahawks camp nationally just have been buzzing about cross and just how comfortable he's looked. And another contrast is Iki Aquana, who went, I think two picks before. You've heard a lot about him. There's been issues with him just getting through pass protection drills. And Mm. you haven't heard that from Neil and the giants and you haven't heard that from cross. So I think, I think your read is right, Brian. I think that's a really good sign. Obviously when we don't know how good the Seahawks edge guys are, but it'll be really telling to see, I don't know how much you want to play cross in preseason. Hopefully they keep them under bubble wrap, but
1: seeing them in those live snaps will be really interesting. Oh, it's funny. I've totally, di- I feel very differently about rookies. Like I want them out there. I want them getting every single snap. So, uh, I, I, you know, it's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't heard about the other, you know, rookie tackles and uh, what's going on with them, but there's, there's two possibilities here one possibility is that charles cross is doing really well and there's we're going to see when he gets up against other competition that he's going to shine the other possibility is that the seahawks pass rush and edge rush is not good that's always the way these things go i've been to almost every one of these camps i haven't been going this year but i've been so many and there's been times where it's like i'm like oh the pass protection looks pretty good. And then I'm like, I watched the one-on-one drills and I'm like, these pass rushers are not very good. And they haven't been, we've been like struggling to get good pass rush for years. And so I know nothing about that group. Um, I know, like we know Daryl Taylor, but we don't know how it's going to look in this scheme with these guys. We don't know how, you know, the free top free agent's going to look opposite Taylor. Um, that's a big question mark mafe like maybe those guys are all going to be great and if they're great if the pass rush looks good on saturday night that's a really good sign for charles cross like all by itself whether however charles cross plays in the game um so yeah i'm i'm really (laughs) <laughs> it just it like the silence was deafening on cross i think relative mm-hmm. to the like how many number nine overall picks for the seahawks have gotten this little coverage um this far into camp uh abraham lucas real quick for folks that haven't been following he he started in the mock game started for a while he's now back on the second team and jake Curran is back at first string so i think they're still figuring out what they're going to do there i think just taking a quick poll with with you all like are you all you're all hoping that that lucas wins that role i assume yeah dana i assume you were too the only only reason you know i I give some pause there is so when shelby harris was talking about charles cross he's like good pass protector has the length good strong hands all that stuff which was great um but you know he's like but coming out of that system he's probably gonna have some work to do on the run game and Lucas is the same situation. And so knowing how much this team is going to have to run the ball well, Curran, like, he was part of what was working last year. That was going to be my point. Running yeah, the yeah. ball. Like, he he's kind of sloppy and had some stuff. But he, was, he and Disley working together was pretty powerful. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, kind of curious there. Like, I, I could go either way, but I, I think it would be great if Lucas could start. It's interesting because they're almost the exact opposites that
2: Lucas has this like big, strong athlete that can just can move. And he's got the athletic profile. Curran is, I know Curran got crushed by PFF grades last year, but everyone talks about Curran. Like he's sort of, sort of like jobber, but the whole Rashad Penny thing, he was the right tackle for all those games that Rashad Penny broke out for. So I, I know Curran's a limited, like Lucas is this like big, nice athlete. Curran's the opposite. He's not, he's like try hard grinder, so, like, it's not the end of the world. Curry's a second-year player. He's an undrafted, He's probably closer to Breno in terms of, like, athletic ability than
1: some of the like Sean Locklear, who's probably a better comparison for Abe Lucas. Very I think Lucas and Sean Locklear, like, he reminds me a lot of.
2: Yeah, so very different athletes, very different players. But, again, you got two first- and second-year tackles, probably going to be – if one of those guys are going to be the right tackle. So, to me, that again, it fits with the whole roster, where right? That's what you want. You want these guys – and obviously Lucas has a much higher ceiling than Curran but if Curran wins that job and starts out and you can run the ball a little bit that, that to me is not a bad i i think it's a win win here
1: dana yeah dana
3: <laughs> yeah
1: it's not only about right. the tackles there is competition Do it. At the guard Do spots. It. Oh. Okay, so
3: wait, before, wait, hold on. I want to tell you, in the middle of the Patreon questions, I'm assuming this is where you're going with this, um, B Armbruster said, no question this week, I just want to hear Brian spend 10 or 15 minutes feeling vindicated about Phil Haynes.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Phil Haynes, baby. I mean... Yeah, I I people don't know how much shit I take from the Hawk Talk crew about Phil Haynes. Like, and this has been going on for years, since his rookie season. And it's not like craziness, but like when you have Dwayne Brown talking up a player in OTAs as a rookie in his first few snaps and saying, like, this guy's got something, there are there are not a lot of situations where vet quality vet offensive linemen talk about a young offensive lineman in that way where they don't turn out to be good players like it just it happens but it's not like KJ Wright talking about a defensive back like that's a very different situation and like then to in addition to that you've got him playing well when he's gotten the chance to start he's had some injury issues but he wasn't injured last year they just didn't play him until the very end of the season, and guess what? He graded out as their best guard by a significant margin when he played. So Pete Carroll said this week, they've got three starting guards. Phil Haynes is pushing Gabe Jackson at the right guard position. Uh, Unfortunately, this is Phil Haynes, like last year of his deal or whatever it is. So it's not like we've got him for a bunch of rookie years, but he is young and I think more talented. So Dana, I'm curious. Like, let's say Phil Haynes earns a starting role. What do you do with Gabe Jackson? You keep him. You trade him. You cut him.
3: Oh, you keep him. And the reason why I say that is because this team has a tendency to go through these positions like water. You know, especially if you have a bunch of younger kids who maybe are still learning to watch. I, I, I think you keep everyone available at all times just in case something happens. But I think the quote from Carol was really interesting about what you said. You know, they'd be pushing Gabe Jackson at right guard. He said that Haynes could be capable of start at either guard spot. And isn't that the important thing? Is that, you know, you have that versatility there. You have that importance. Um, but I just think, and this could be me just being a nervous Nelly, you don't, Gabe Jackson stays because you never know what's going to happen to those positions. Because you don't want to, you know, get rid of him. And yeah, it would be handy. Maybe you'd get, you know, an extra single draft pick somewhere, whatever it may be, you know, low-level draft pick. But you have to have that depth. And plus with Phil Haynes, with his being his last year in his contract, this is not going to be an expensive player. So making sure that he's developed well and into your system, I think that that just does nothing for good. It's much like the rookies for the next couple of years. So I think, hold on for dear life.
1: I don't know. I I I I get where you're coming from. Yeah. I I'm so all in on the youth movement that for me, if you can get like a fifth round pick for Gabe Jackson, um, and it means that your backup at guard is someone like Jake Curran, um, <laughs> I might be okay with that. Uh, like I might. I don't. I don't love the idea of the team in its in its situation, like in its evolution, having a vet sitting on the bench. Um, I'd rather fill that with another potential prospect that may or may not work out. And if all goes to shit, Dana, guess what? They lose. It's
3: already fit, and we yeah, get a higher draft
1: next year. Yeah, so like,
3: that's fair. That's fair. It's- yeah, what do you guys think? Now, let me ask you to this, because this is interesting to me. One of the things that I loved about the, the the Super Bowl teams, especially those couple of years, was the fact that they had constant rotational players, that they could move those players in and out of spots left and right, and that it never we it seemed to have less injuries. I could really be wrong like that. If I went back and looked, it's been a minute <laughs> since that happened. But there just seemed to be this constant rotation. And so players weren't tiring out as much. It, do you think that it seems in some of these positions that they're getting this depth? Is that possibly something that's on their mind? Because they've done it before.
2: What do you think, Jeff? I think that's a bigger issue down the road when they're closer to probably the roster that John always talks about the championship caliber roster. I think like what they used to have at corner is unprecedented. I don't know if I'll ever build, build that again, where you look like Sherman and yeah. Browner go Browner went out and then Lane and Maxwell just emerged off the bench and, Mm-hmm. They, they Russell Kong went out for like 10 weeks and like they were completely unstopped at all. Like, yeah, down the road. And this team, like they got two first rounders, two second rounders coming next year. Like there's
3: mm-hmm. a lot
2: more coming down the road. They got cap room there. That's something that you can look at, but I think eventually they'll have to get to that point right now. I think they're just trying to figure just out who, this are, year. who are our foundational players right now. Who can we move forward with? And that's why Dana, I, I love the way you've talked about 20, 2022 is about 2023 i think that's really the most practical way to look at the season because yeah you can cheer for draft picks or cheer for tanking i don't think the team is designed to tank i think they're going to be competitive they're going to be limited at quarterback so they're not going to be a 10-win team but i don't think they're going to be a two-win team but really i think they're at the point where they're just trying to figure out okay are we ascending at the end of the year? And, I, I hate to use old Seahawks seasons as an example, but there are a lot of comparables to that 2011 season where mm-hmm. there's a lot of revisionist history with that year where everyone remembers it for like, oh, another year Pete couldn't win without Russell or the LLB couldn't win without a quarterback. I remember that year very, very differently. And Brian, when we talk about this a lot, there was a Marshawn Lynch game. I think it was in Dallas. Cowboys. With, yeah, he, something just, he figured out the scheme or him and Tom Cable got on the same page. And the team was just so different after that. And Richard Sherman came off the bench that year. Those are the two things I remember about that year. That's not the LLB. Richard Sherman missed like eight games that year. didn't start for like week eight. And they didn't have Bobby yet. So uh, there's a lot of revisionist history. I think this year is a lot like that in terms of like they sucked at the beginning. They had a game in Pittsburgh that year where they just looked abysmal. And they might have games like that this year. But just going back to what you're saying, I think that's the direction. You want to hope that by
1: the end of the year, they look like they've turned a corner with their talent level. Yeah. That, that was the year that it was Brandon Brown in his first year. Uh, yeah, he will yeah. still always be one of my favorite Seahawks. I love watching that guy play. He's so physical. Uh, And against Pittsburgh, he had a rough game and I had yeah, been super high on him. And like, people were all up in my mentions. Like this guy's terrible. He's awful. I'm like, he's going to be a pro bowler. And they're like, you're crazy. And he was a pro bowler by the end of the year. And uh, I remember after that Dallas game, the Seahawks played against the, the Ravens, Ray Lewis's Ravens. yeah, And they were good. And yeah, they made this super good. And Marshawn Lynch broke Ray Lewis's ankles, like, not literally, but you know what I mean. And that, yeah. it was one of the best, like, dead legs you've seen from, from a running back. And, like, that team found itself in the last, they finished, like, six and two, I want to say, something yeah, like yeah. that and they were running it without a quarterback t jack had a torn pec like that was just a that team became like they went from being bad to being tough yeah
2: that was exactly run
1: the ball they could defend and then all they needed was a pass rush you know and a quarterback and it took them two years to get the pass rush it took them one year to get the quarterback and that was that but that was the foundational year so like yeah In some ways, this feels like it could be a 2010, depending on how things go. But I think it's more like 2011 because I don't think we're going to see a lot of vets playing this year like we saw in 2010 for the Seahawks that then were turned over, you know, uh, in 2011. So, um, yeah, let's take some patron questions because uh, I can keep going. Uh, We will keep going. But uh, Dana hit us with some patron questions. Let's make sure we cover those while she's picking those up. Folks, if you haven't already, please give the show a like. It takes just two seconds. Give the show a like. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, we're continuing to grow the community. It's a fun group. And most importantly, go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and get immediate access to our Slack channel and the community there, which is awesome. A bunch of really good people. And all the proceeds go to charity. So uh, really, really uh, no reason not to be part of a great CS community be part of the building aspect of this team don't be the people that everyone's like hey you're you're a bandwagoner you're only here when the team's good the fun part is to be there now um and to to see it all happen and to to find people together along the way to to, to watch it and enjoy it with so hopefully you do that patreon.com slash hawk blogger and one of the benefits is you get to ask us questions that we try to answer every week Dana what are our questions this week
3: All right, we're gonna start with Eric's question and I'm actually gonna give this one to Jeff. Um, Aside from wins and losses, what are your top three successes you'd like to see out of this season?
2: Um, Okay, so the biggest thing to me is the offensive line. Um, We've gone so many years with them just not having a sustainable plan, sustainable solutions. Every year has been almost a clusterfuck. Uh, So number one to me is setting up how many long-term pieces do you have on this offensive line? that's for sure. Number one, number two is core players on defense. Um, We talk about their defense. They've been kind of, they had that great group and then they've been kind of patching it together with Bobby and KJ and the rest of the guys, but they don't really have those. They haven't really had those core players. So watching who emerges, whether that's corner, like how good is Jordan Brooks um, they have a lot of solid edge guys, but we don't know if there's a blue chip kind of star like can Daryl Taylor step forward. So, figuring out who are our core players on defense number two for me and then the rest probably the next one i don't really care about the quarterbacks to be honest not that um i guess it's just the rookie class in general like can kenneth walker play can Boya off play can i talked about the corners but really it's just number three is just how many of these rookies can be long-term pieces and because you look across the roster there's some stop gaps but Offensive line, edge, corner, to me, those are the three.
3: Good. a good answer, Jeff. Nice job. All right, (laughs) Brian. um, Who do you predict will be the biggest impact rookie after what you've seen from training camp? Okay, let's say outside of Tariq, because we've already talked about him quite a bit. Assuming that was your answer. I shouldn't have assumed that. I'm sorry. You. You're muted.
1: Sorry, I was trying to be nice and mute, not make noises. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go with Kobe Bryant. I I actually, from what I've watched of him uh, and the way he moves, I think he is going to get, I think he's going to demand time. And I think he's going to actually, this is a guy that made plays on the ball regularly during college, won the Thorpe Award his senior year, best DB in the nation. (laughs) We were kind of, sold a bill of goods with Tedrick Thompson, having like a bunch of interceptions at Colorado, and then he was, a you know, could make plays on the ball and had good instincts. He just wasn't an athlete. I think Kobe Bryant has already proven he's got the athletic skills to go along with it. And um, this is a, this is a huge stretch, but I'm going to say it that the, the, the body type and the style that he reminds me of is Marlon Humphrey is one mm-hmm. of my favorite corners in the game. Um, and if he could have half the impact of Marlon Humphrey, um, that would be a lot of fun.
3: Mm. Jeff, who's yours real quick?
2: Um, I'm still more in the Brian camp on this draft pick, but I think it's going to be Kenneth Walker. I think he has superstar potential at running back. And it sounds like his just like explosion. And if he can become more of a pass catcher and we know Penny's durability things, if he can become that, like Joe Mixon, Dalvin cook kind of running back it's not my biggest priority in building a team. I, again, I'm closer Brian on that draft pick, but I think him as a player, I just think he has upside that I don't know if any other player other than Cross has at their position.
3: Yeah. I think I'd pick Walker across too. All right. Um, oh, this to go along with the rookies um, from Braxton. Oh, that question. I'm sorry. was from Troy Fagan. Sorry, Troy. I forgot to give you credit for that. Um, this one's from Braxton. What would a successful rookie season for Boye Matthew look like to you? Either one of you.
1: A successful rookie season for Mafe. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh Mafe, sorry. honestly, anything over three sacks would be acceptable as a rookie. I think people have unrealistic expectations of rookie pass rushers, but if he can be a guy that is part of the rotation, like a regular rotational guy and not like an Alton Robinson where he was there and then never getting snaps um, for whatever reason. Plus he shows some production with actually getting the quarterback. Those, that would be what I would look for. I don't know, Jeff, how about you? Yeah, I I think that just being a complimentary pass rusher that looks
2: capable. um, He's not going to be the full every damn player. It doesn't sound like I think they're going to ease him along. Pete's done a good job with that historically of kind of bring people along slowly. In some cases, in other cases, he's been that, but we'll talk about that another day. But yeah, I think it's really just showing that he can be a capable pass rusher on third down. I don't know about what sacks. I don't know if he's going to do much on early downs. But if he can just add pass rush ability, our team. It's, this is definitely the biggest question mark to me is the edge rush group. Um, if he can show that he can be part of that group moving forward, to me that's huge.
3: Yeah. Um, Cameron asked chances of Penny getting offensive player of the year MVP. I know we talked about this a little bit last time, but after a little bit of camp, has your opinions changed?
1: I've got to see the offensive line playing together Mm -hmm. before I can say that. Like, I, I don't think, I think people underestimate the impact of the tackles on the running game. Yeah. Dwayne Brown was a fantastic run blocker, even with like a bum knee. Um, I think, I don't know what we have in Austin Blythe. I think I know, and I don't think he's a, I don't think he's going to move people. So, um, a running back can be good behind a mediocre offensive line in the run game, but I don't think often running back can be great. So, um, TBD. Yeah, I I think like 0% he's, the quarterbacks
2: are just so dominant now. Offensive player of the year. You have to do what he did last year, essentially, and basically they'd have to like bring Adrian Peterson back to like motivate him. I don't know, but <laughs> I, I can't see him repeating what happened at the end of last year. I think he'll be a productive player if he stays in the field, but I think there's going to be a big learning curve, as Brian said. And I think without Russell there, it's a little easier to stack the box and prepare for that run game. So I very little chance of that. I think you're just hoping that he can be a core part of this team moving forward because he's on a one year deal again.
3: Mm -hmm. All right. So Trey Hall has a question for Jeff. Um, Oh, wait, no. It says question from Imani Waddle. Sorry. Um, Question for Jeff. Thoughts on Seattle trading for Roquan Smith with Chicago's ongoing contract dispute. Would Denver second be worth it or enough to even get it done?
2: I would not want them to do it. I'll start with the caveat. I think Roquan Smith is a great player. And I think that Seattle can use another linebacker. I think they're really thin and inside linebacker. And if Brooks is hurt a bit right now. And if you got Cody Barton, someone else needs to start. It's not great. But again, I just don't think that's where you'd want to invest the kind of capital, the kind of money you'd have to pay him. Mean, he wants to be the highest paid linebacker in the league. And they've got to pay Jordan Brooks the next couple of years. So we've seen what happens when they pay on conventional positions with Jamal Adams. It sort of seems like that again. And Roquan, again, great, great player. I just think if you're going to give up the draft picks where I think are going to be a core part of building this next generation of this team, they can't make the same mistake they made with Jamal Adams at a non-premier position. I think that would be a luxury move, something that would be done in a video game, not in reality.
3: Yeah, good answer. Now, um, uh, Jen, Mazzarolo. She, I hope I said that right, Jen. She asked a question outside of the Patreon question, so I don't know if it was supposed to be included in the questions, but it's a good question. So I want you both to answer this. So I'm going to give Jen full credit for this because it's really good. Who will be a better asset from the Broncos trade, Noah Fant or Shelby Harris? Brian.
1: Um. Well, I think over time it's it's going to be Fant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. It's hard to say with the quarterback situation. <laughs> like it'll be a near term. Uh so I don't know. I, I I'll I'll go with Fant, uh, you know, over the course of time. Yeah, Fant's
2: ceiling, they have him for two more years for sure with that fifth year mm-hmm. option, but he's at kind of a quiet camp. It's a little concerning. And I don't know if that's the quarterback position. And they talked about how they're gonna throw up the middle more and there's gonna be more tight ends. You haven't heard a ton about Noah Fant. So I don't know if that's a quarterback thing. I don't know if that's Shane Waldron not being able to use tight ends well, but I'm a little. I want to see a little more, hear a little more from him. I think Shelby Harris is sneaky like value on this team. I think they don't have a lot of interior guys who can or defensive linemen in this new defense who can generate pass rush to him. They've put in Jefferson, so I think Shelby Harris is going to be a sneaky good player for them. I think they prioritized him schematically for a reason. So I'll go with him, but I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping fans. I think getting him is like getting a first round pick because he's a really high upside player that just hasn't been, haven't had the quarterbacks to maximize him. So still in that situation, unfortunately. And
1: I hope it's him.
3: All right. That's about it.
1: Thank you, Dana. And thanks patrons for the questions. Those were good this week. had some good ones. Um, so Uh, For folks that don't know uh, in the past like few preseasons, some of us have joined the game live covered the game live Um, we don't actually show the game on YouTube because our stream would get stopped immediately. Uh, But we do uh, add some commentary, at least I do Um, I don't know if Jeff uh, will do that with me this year or not, but if nothing else i'll be there Saturday. i'm curious. Dana, what is, what is like, what are you most interested to see? Are are you assuming? Are you going to watch the game Saturday?
3: Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: What What are you What are you going to be watching? What What are the top priorities for your focus um, during what can be obviously a usually pretty crappy football?
3: You know, I, I, like I said a little bit ago, I'm just so excited about these preseason games. And I think it's just because everything is fresh and new. And, and so I'm really excited. I I really am going to watch all the rookies. My whole focus, I have, you know, I usually keep a little notebook so I can write my articles and I have little things, but it's, I'm, my focus is on the rookies, how they're using them, where they're using them and, and how they respond to another team. I think that when you're going against your own offense or defense, you know, sometimes that, that, doesn't give you obviously a true sense of who the player is or how aggressive they're going to be or any of that. Um, And I'm excited to see that from them. I'm excited to see how they play against a scheme they don't know or haven't been, been taught or watched, you know, play from the sidelines as during practice. So, I, I want to see how they respond to what is truly, I mean, it's not their true welcome to the NFL moment because that doesn't happen until week one, but it's still their first NFL feeling. And I, I kind of want to see how they react to that.
1: Jeff, what's your ideal post-game story for the Seahawks' first piece of the game? What, how does it read? Who are the stars?
2: Uh, the, the offensive line looks good in pass protection and, and they're able to run the ball. Against Pittsburgh. But to me, so much of my interest on the offense comes down to how the offensive line looks. I'm far more interested almost in the run game this year to see how those new guys do versus it's going to be a struggle in the past game. So, uh, again, a lot of the focus in the coverage is going to be the quarterback competition. I just don't really care that much. To me, they're both placeholders. Uh, I kind of like, I'm hoping that they show something to make the season a little more watchable, but. I, I said this to Brian the other day. It reminds me so much, again, 2011. I see so many comparisons between T-Jack and Geno, and then Whitehurst, who's more of the toolsy guy who was raw and, and Locke. I see so many comparables there. You can probably nitpick that, but it's, it's so much like that season. So I don't really care about that. To me, it's, you want to see that the cornerbacks can play against those. I said, Pittsburgh had very good receivers historically, and you want to see the offensive line. Those two guys are, some of the young guys, they don't look like a disaster. And we've seen so many preseason games in the past where they've just looked disastrous on the offensive line. And it's like, how the hell are they going to get through a season like this? So, but I will, I want to warn everyone about this just heads up last year, me and Brian came into the off season. They had a new offensive coordinator. We were so excited to see how this looks and they were super vanilla and almost to the point where they only had three draft picks last year and some of the morning, one of them stoned foresight. So we, it was like – I remember me and Brian, Brian's kid, we were just so angry watching that first game. It was so dull. And what happened was the preseason went from four games to three games. So teams got super, super conservative. The Seahawks roster actually – Seahawks and Pittsburgh are, like, the only teams going through a quarterback competition. So it could be an interesting game. But teams got even more vanilla. It used to be like a, they would build up slowly, and now it's just, like, very different. So I'm very curious if the Seahawks, with all these young players – play this a little differently because the rest of the league last year, Seahawks included almost sat all of their interesting players throughout the whole preseason last year. we were watching guys who are going to be end up in the CFL. So I hope it's a little more interesting because the Seahawks do data mentioned. It, there's so many interesting players. I hope it's not just watching fourth string players, but the quarterback competition might help in that regard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think those are good reminders. I think it's also good. Reminders, uh people freak out about how quarterbacks play in these games and specifically backup quarterbacks and forget that by like the second or third quarter, you are putting people in the game that will never play in the NFL. Yeah. And so they're like, like, all of a sudden, the backup or the third string quarterback, like Jacob Eason, looks great. Oh my God, he's got to be in the mix. It's like, well, he's playing guys that will not even be in the practice squad so like chill i mean it's good hopefully they do look good but i don't think there's a lot that can be made from you know how the backup plays versus how the starter plays um i am interested like my expectation is they are not going to treat the quarterback position that the way they've treated it in the past they don't need to protect gino smith or drew lock like in fact those guys need reps so I'm hoping we don't see like the two series from Geno Smith and then Drew Lock comes in. Like I feel like almost they should both get a half. Like I want to they they should be getting reps. The team needs them to get reps. They need the reps. And if they get injured, you know, sucks. I hope that doesn't happen, but it's not like the Super Bowl is, is on the line here. So um we'll be interesting to see some differences there. I do think Rashad Penny should get kids' gloves. I don't think he needs to prove anything in the preseason. I think Kenneth Walker and the rest of the running backs should get more time. Um, and as far as storylines go, I'm already pretty confident what we have at the corner position. I would like to see like more, more of it because I'd enjoy it. I'd love to see turnovers there would be great. But the biggest thing that will change my opinion one way or another about this team based on that game will be the pass rush. That is okay. the number one thing. I do think like watching the offensive line play will be big, but I I'm, I think there's a lot of signals about why that will work out. If not right away, eventually I think those guys will find their their footing. The pass rush, don't know. I don't know. And that
3: Jeff, you brought up a really interesting point that I had kind of forgotten is that this is a very important game – for Pittsburgh too, because of their quarterback situation, you know, we have to remember it's not, it's it's Gino and Drew, but then they have Trubisky and you know, they have their new guys. And so, and right now the coaches are saying, well, Mitch is winning that. Well, we keep hearing Gino's winning that, but we have seen preseason completely change those situations. Russell Wilson is the perfect example of that. And so while this game is important to Seattle for certain reasons, it's also going to be really important. So to see how, those quarterbacks are going to be playing for the starting position. So that is a great place for the Seahawks defense to really try and shine and prove what they can do. Um, that That's going to add a really fun dimension to this game. That was a really good point.
1: Can I – do you guys have a couple more minutes? Sure. Because I need to rant about something, and I want to hear your, hear your perspectives. Drink, <laughs> so there's this crazy, like – Twitter can cons- like theory going out there that drew Locke just needed a new situation and he can be Ryan Tannehill. Have you heard this? Well, so I've been very outspoken in the fact that I have no interest in drew Locke, and people are like, Hey, you're cutting him short too early. And maybe like, Uh, Maybe. I don't think I am, but we'll find out. Um, But the the debate that kind of came up, and what I made a point about is that, one, I don't think there's a lot of examples of quarterbacks um, being bad for three years and then being good, really good. I don't think there's a lot of examples of that. So that's one thing. And two, I think part of what helps in those situations is going to a place that can develop a quarterback or that, that you have history of developing quarterbacks. And I've made the point that I don't think Pete has developed quarterbacks in his time here and people are like, what are you talking about? Look at Russell. Russell was fantastic. Look what he did. There's a big difference between putting quarterbacks in a position to succeed based off their skill set and developing a quarterback. Those are two different things. And it drives me nuts that people don't get it. And I have to like, I almost wrote an article about it. So they almost got me angry enough to write an article, but I didn't do it. And I compare and contrast like a Matt Hasselback to a Russell Wilson. Matt Hasselback, if you remember, he he came to Seattle on the trade from Green Bay and was like a disaster when he started, like throwing interceptions, doing twirly birds in the backfield. Like inaccurate with his throws. Like, it was like, why in the world is this guy even? Why did they trade for him? He was like Charlie Whitehurst level bad. Like, he was really bad. Lost his starting job. Trent Dilfer took it over, um, came back and became a Pro Bowl quarterback, became a Super Bowl quarterback. And he had distinctly different skills than he had when he started. Mike Holmgren has developed quarterbacks everywhere he's gone, he's given them skills that they didn't have before. My point is, I don't think that I can find a single meaningful discernible skill that Pete Carroll that Russell Wilson left with that he didn't have with him when he came. The only thing that really comes to mind is that when brian shotttenheimer Schottenheimer came to town, he did help Russell get rid of some of the the twirl back uh you know when he'd run into sacks uh and like blindly spin around, otherwise, like Pete gave Russ. Carl Tater Smith for like a bunch of years and not much else. So like, I just, I really don't think that, uh, I have a lot of reason to believe that Pete Carroll or anyone on the Seahawks have shown that they can develop a quarterback. Um, So that's my rant. I want to (laughs) know, like, tell me why I'm crazy. What Dana, I see, I see, uh, I saw a bunch of, uh, fun reactions I mean what's what's your thought on all that
3: um I don't think you're wrong I don't think that P. Carroll is a quarterback whisperer I do think he knows how to put people on his roster or on his coaching staff excuse me that that can help in that you know and and they were very lucky to have such a talented quarterback dropped them yes but my only counterpoint to this is number one I, and people keep in mind, I live in an area where Drew Locke was considered a guard, a God here. And they were heartbroken when he ended up going to Denver. I live, remember I live in Kansas city and he was, I'm telling you, (laughs) I have heard more about Drew Locke in the last few weeks than I ever wanted to. But my only counterpoint to what you said, Brian, is this, there is one team who's probably even worse at developing quarterbacks. And that is the Denver Broncos. They cannot develop a quarterback to save their life. They have to go get veterans at the end, tail end of their career or toward the end of their career to bring home championships. Now, are they really good at that? Yes. And kudos to them. It won them a Super Bowl, right? I'm not not saying that's bad, but what I'm saying is they have no clue how to deal with rookie quarterbacks either. So bringing Drew here, will he get better? I think he might get better. Will he ever be great? I doubt it. But I do think there is an opportunity for him to improve to what level. I don't know, but I do think, like I said, Denver's terrible at developing quarterbacks. He will probably get somewhat better here.
1: I I agree with that. Um, Mm -hmm. Jeff, I mean, do you see a path here to where uh, like what percentage odds would you give that Drew Locke follows the Ryan Tannehill um, narrative and arc? Me, I'm at like 8% maybe even
2: like five. And I just don't see it as realistic. It would be – take based on what I saw, and I watched them Denver the last couple of years, and I've watched them play, it would be just like a drastic, like stunning turnaround. and I'd be stunned. I just would be absolutely stunned. Tannehill is probably the best example, but outside of that, like who else can you really think of? There's not many guys who've gone just from that bad to capable – and even, even the guys who have, like Ryan Fitzpatrick is probably another example. He was a backup level player, being like a fringe limited starter. But I don't know if I see that either. I'm sort of like – John Boyle wrote a cool article and like car- talking to Carson Palmer and talking about the things that Pete does for a quarterback in terms of just like building up confidence, making them feel comfortable in their shoes. All the cool things he did for – Palmer said without Pete, he would have never made it. And he had no confidence in himself. So they're trying to use that to like on the team's website to fire them. They probably fire up the fans about Drew Locke. But Carson Bomber is like a Heisman Trophy. Number one recruit in the country kind of guy. Like there's a little bit of a difference. And Brian's right. Like Mike Holmgren, you remember him and Andy Reid are probably like the two best. And Holmgren's the one who essentially hired Andy Reid in Green Bay and kind of brought him into the NFL. Like Holmgren who like worked with Steve Young and Joe Montana and Brett Favre but then the stuff he did with Hasselback in that West Coast system when he was just like not ready to play in the NFL was incredible. Like how good he was at timing routes and how much he developed him. What Pete can do is make a guy more confident, make the guy more comfortable in his shoes. But does Locke have the actual talent to be an NFL player and a functional one? I'm still – I think he's a fringe guy at best. So I think Pete is good at what he does. I always thought Pete Holmgren would be the perfect compliments is on the same staff but like what Holmgren and Andy Reid can do with a quarterback versus what Pete can do with the quarterback it's just worlds apart
1: I, I yeah that's the part I just don't I don't feel like people seem to recognize enough people do and I've seen people in the chat I've heard this on Twitter too like they, they the other name they give out is Drew Brees as that's an example like Drew Brees had a 105 passer rating in San Diego two seasons before he was gone. He was he threw 24 touchdowns, 27 touchdowns to seven interceptions. He threw over 3000 yards three times. Like, what are we talking about? Like Drew Locke hasn't had like he hasn't had a season where he's thrown over six and a half yards. Like if you look at his games, like he barely. He doesn't throw the ball downfield that well. He turns the ball over at a high frequency. Like, I don't want the guy to fail. That's different. I have no interest in watching the guy play because I don't I just don't see well from what I've seen, I don't believe he's got meaningful upside. If he does play and he plays well, great. Um, but like comparing him and his first few seasons to Drew Brees that is crazy talk like it's just not does not make any sense at all so anyway i had to rant about it because i saves me some time from writing up a big thread on twitter that i was going to write so i appreciate you both sticking with me for a little bit longer um but outside of the quarterbacks this is a pretty pretty bullish conversation we've had here about this team and we haven't even talked about the receivers. We haven't talked about, you know, Bo Melton making an impact. We haven't talked about uh, some of the other like some of the other names here that I think could be big. And so really, really excited about Saturday. I'm really ready to watch this team play, um, unwrap some presents, see what we get. And I uh, hope we see you all there. Um, so. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, thanks to all you tuned in. Please go ahead and click subscribe. Give the show a like. We'd really appreciate it. And head on over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Join up. Now is the time. And uh, we will see you all very
0: soon. Go Hawks.